While they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take it, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you now again in the name of your Son and by the strength and power of the Spirit. Be with us as we consider this blessed means that you have given to us whereas you dispense grace to us in our salvation. Be with us now, Lord, in Christ, let me pray. Amen. Please be seated. Here now in the book of Mark, we are given the account of the Lord Jesus Christ instituting the meal that will become known as the Lord's Supper. The meal that you and I, by the grace of God, will be able to partake in in just a few moments. It is that covenant meal that we are celebrating. And the meal that we celebrate as often as we meet, as we have been commanded. We all know that meals are a regular occurrence in all of our lives. Most of you went home after morning service and you ate. Some of you stayed here and you ate. But most of us spent our time eating and replenishing our strength. Whether these meals that we enjoy are uh, eaten alone or eaten with others, our bodies need to be nourished. And we partake in these meals so that we might live on and have strength to press on, don't we? This is the way that God has made us. We can't go very long without eating. If we go too long without eating, we will suffer. Our bodies will become weak. We need regular nourishment through food. In order to live on and move on, right? And there are times when meals, they have uh, this communal connection to them. Uh, Meaning that we enjoy these meals sometimes through different celebrations and different occasions. Our dear sister Doreen, she said to me that her son is going to make breakfast and she wants everyone to come over and eat breakfast. And she said, I'll come have breakfast at lunch. But it was a time where she fellowshiped with her son and with her family. We often think about different kinds of celebration meals. One of them might be a wedding rehearsal dinner. It's the meal that takes place before the groom and the bride are united in marriage. What's the, what's your favorite time of getting together with a meal? What's your favorite holiday? that is uh, accompanied with a meal. Some of you may say Thanksgiving. Some of you may automatically say, oh, Christmas, I love the tamales at Christmas. Uh, Whatever those holidays are, I think that for many of us, we can associate with those holidays different kinds of meals. 
As I said before, in my family, uh, one of the, the occasions that we would have a good meal, a big meal, was during any kind of uh, boxing match. My dad would make all sorts of different kinds of food, or at least our favorite food during this time. In these meals, there is a nourishment that is taking place. There's a fellowship or communion with the people that we love that's also taking place. And there is a celebration taking place. Food is involved. Fellowship is involved. And celebration is involved. And when we think about these meals, uh, there are often shared commitments that are also common when we are having these meals. Meaning, we are having these meals with people that we are committed to. It could be a son. It could be a husband or a wife. It could be uh, fathers and children, mothers and children, just family in general or good friends. There's a certain kind of commitment that we all have together. And we are fellowshipping together, eating together, and celebrating together. The Old Testament people of God, they had such a meal. You and I know that meal as the Passover meal. It's what God called that meal in the scriptures. You are also well aware of the account of the Passover. It was that moment in history, in the history of Israel, when God came. Who came? When God came and killed the firstborn of all who did not have the blood of the lamb over their doorpost. When God passed through the land, he commanded his people to prepare a lamb for supper. Contrary to popular belief, the Israelites, when God was passing through the land, they were not cowering in some kind of corner in fear. Those who had the blood of the lamb over their doorpost were actually celebrating a meal. They were celebrating a covenant meal. The Lord God commanded these who would put the blood over their doorpost, not just to do away with the lamb, but to then roast the lamb, have a barbecue. And celebrate God's deliverance from judgment as he passed through the land. This was a covenant meal. God was giving to the Israelite both nourishment for their bodies and celebration for their souls. Generation after generation thereafter would then celebrate the Passover as their physical bodies were nourished. And as their souls were encouraged, as they remembered God's redemption and celebrated the loving grace of God who passed over them when judgment came to their home. Celebration. Celebration for all those who trust in God. This annual feast was the, the high point of their year. As they gathered with family to celebrate the freedom from slavery in Egypt... They also celebrated that God continued to pass on his promised covenant to his people. And they made this proclamation each time they shared and fellowshiped and celebrated the Passover meal. It's a meal. A meal with a message. A meal with the message. It was in celebration of this Passover that in Mark chapter 14, the Lord Jesus Christ chooses to institute this new covenant meal known as the Lord's Supper. For the Christian, the 
covenant promise of God is proclaimed. We are declaring something through this meal. As the participant is spiritually fed. Now, I know that you don't get as big a piece of bread as you would like sometimes. And maybe as big a cup as you would like sometimes. But there is nourishment happening there. Your bodies are being nourished and your souls are being encouraged. As you are being reminded of the covenant that God has made in saving you from your and my sin. Christ is present with us. He is among us in a unique way when we come to the table. This meal, therefore, is a means of grace. You've heard that over and over again, haven't you? Our friend Richard Barcelos defines the means of grace as the delivery systems God has instituted to bring grace. That is spiritual power here at the table. Spiritual change here at the table. Spiritual help here at the table. Spiritual fortitude, strength here at the table. And spiritual blessings that our souls need here on earth, here at the table. Grace comes from God the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit, and gives blessings and grace to His people through these ordained means, through the Lord's Supper. We have received grace through the preached word. Grace through prayer, grace in baptism and remembering our baptism and grace in the Lord's Supper. And this evening now, with God's help, I'd like to consider just with you three things that are true about the Lord's Supper. Three things that are true about the Lord's Supper. Number one, this meal is a covenant blessing. This meal is a covenant blessing. Back to Mark chapter 14, verses 22 to 25. The text in Mark 14 points to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as he instituted the Lord's Supper, specifically in pointing to the cup. The Lord Jesus refers to the cup as the blood of the covenant, the blood of the covenant. In Matthew 28 or 26 and 28 and Luke 22, 20, the Lord calls the cup the new covenant in his blood blood just like the old covenant people of god there is a symbol or a uh, need necessity for blood in order for the covenant to be ratified that is complete and just like they had a feast we too have a feast and just like they celebrated freedom from slavery we have a feast to celebrate freedom from slavery god has granted us This meal to both nourish our bodies and our souls as we celebrate being freed from slavery to sin. The Lord has given the old covenant people of God a meal. But he hasn't looked to the new covenant people of God and said, but you don't get to eat. He's also given to us a meal. And it is a covenantal meal. It's a meal that we celebrate because God has called us his own. He has not withheld the blessing of proclaiming the promise of God, meeting with his people and nourishing our souls through this meal. The Lord brings each of us, his people, into the covenant of grace, a covenant through which the merits of Christ are imputed, given to the sinner and the record of our sin 
is washed white as snow through the blood of Christ. Do you know that as a carpet cleaner, one of the hardest things to get out of carpet is blood? And yet, it is by the blood of the sinless one that we are washed white as snow. How ironic is that? That God would take the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And he does this all by his free grace. The covenant was promised in Genesis 3.15. And it is founded in the Trinitarian arrangement known as the covenant of redemption. If you have your confession, you can go to chapter 7. In chapter 7, there is a very important statement on this covenant of grace. It's very, it is this very covenant of chapter 7 that the Lord's Supper proclaims. When believers come to the table, the wonderful mercy of God is proclaimed. In chapter 7, our confession says the distance between God, the creator of all, and man is so great. We could never reach God on our own. We could never come to God on our own. God has to come to us. And it pleased God to condescend to his creation. And he has done so by way of covenant. We have sinned against God. We were under the curse of the law. The righteous penalty for those who disobeyed their creator was upon us. And yet, even while we were sinners, God graciously covenanted to save us from our sin. And how did God choose to save his people? God has chosen to save his people by offering them salvation through the righteous one, the son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who in his doing and dying and rising and ascending has conquered sin and the grave. If we are to be saved, then we must place our faith in Christ alone. If we are to take part in the covenant blessings of the covenant of grace, then we are required to place our faith in Christ alone. But there's a problem, isn't there? We're corrupt people. We have been polluted by sin. How can we who have been polluted by sin do any spiritual good? How can we who are corrupted make the good step toward God? We cannot come to God on our own. God must come to us. And once again, we are amazed by the grace of God. Who not only, as chapter 7 says, requires faith in order that we might be saved. But also gives the required faith to us. So that we might be saved. God says, in order to be saved, you need to place your faith in my son. And we say, but I can't. Where can I go to find this faith? And God says, I'll give it to you. You can't find it anywhere. You can't search for it. You can't work hard enough for it. The grace or the faith that God requires is also the faith that God gives so that we might be saved. The God who requires faith is also the God who gives faith and makes the recipient of this faith willing and able to believe. God does this. And what do we believe? When God gives us faith, what is it that we are believing in? Placing our faith in. 
We believe that the covenant that was first revealed to Adam and the promise of salvation by the seed of the woman before the foundation of the world was decreed by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is the covenant of redemption that the Father would give to His Son a bride. The Son would go and redeem that bride and the Spirit would apply the redemption to all of the elect. In this covenant of redemption, this covenant of grace, the new covenant that we celebrate and proclaim each time we come to the table, this is what we proclaim here, that we've been saved. Let me ask you, when was the last time you were ever amazed by the grace of God upon your life? When was the last time that you sat there or stood there or was driving somewhere and you were reminded that you were once dead in sin and that God has saved you from your sin? Do you know that when you come to the table, it is your weekly reminder that you have been saved from death to life? We sometimes can hear a message about the Lord's Supper and say, let's just take it. Let's just take it and get it over with. Don't stop being amazed by the grace that God has given you. Don't stop being in awe of the grace. And I listen to me. We can sometimes put ourselves as if we are living in the life of Joseph, where everything that we're experiencing in our life is just hard. It's just hard. It's just hard. And I don't have time to think about this. This is the answer to the difficulties. This is the answer to all of the dark things that take place in our lives. It's remembering that you're no longer in darkness. My son and I, on the way driving to uh, Tule River, we heard a minister, we were listening to a sermon, a minister say, in a very cheeky kind of way, how could I ever be afraid of the dark? If God has said, I'm a light in this world. And though it was cheeky and uh, silly, there's a great deal of truth to that, isn't there? He's called you to be salt. He said that you are light. So when we are in dark and difficult providences, as we heard this morning, Remind yourself that you are in the light. And each time you come to the Lord's Supper, it is a proclamation. I am no longer in the darkness. He's brought me to the light. Dear ones, you are not just coming to have a piece of bread and a cup to drink. You are proclaiming what our covenant or what the covenant of redemption has accomplished by the body and blood of Christ. When you come to the Lord's Supper, hold it high. Christ has done this. When you hold the cup, hold it high. Christ has saved me by this blood. You are proclaiming that Genesis 3.15 has been fulfilled. That it was completed when Jesus said in John 19.30, It is finished. You are proclaiming that you belong to and that you are a part of 
that covenant blood that was spilled out by the only righteous one who ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are in that covenant. We were just talking a minute ago about saving faith and about there have been many who have said, I believe in Christ. But it was merely a profession. Something that came from their lips, but not from their hearts. And you're still here. And they have said, but did not believe. And for whatever reason, the grace of God it must be. You're still here. There is not a big enough piece of bread or a big enough cup to show how grateful we are for what God has done. You belong to, you are a part of that covenant. Let your mind be in awe of this. Before light was even formed, God knew you. Let your mind be in awe of this. Before God ever said, let there be, he knew you. Before God ever said, and let there be an expanse in the sky, your name was written on his mind. And that he had determined to save you from the sin that would come from the evil one. And when you come to the Lord's table, be in awe of that. He's always loved me. He's always loved me. There was never a time when he did not love me. Husbands, we pursue our wives. Some of us, some wives or some husbands are fortunate enough to have their wives pursue them. (laughs) I loved my wife before she ever knew that I loved her. She thought I was just being nice all the times I took her to Chick-fil-A. All the times that we would go to the war, she would think, he's so nice. No, girl, I'm after you. I'm coming after you. There's a, there's a purpose behind it. I'm saying that because she can hear me. She's on the phone right now. And God loved her before I, I ever loved her. God loved you before anyone who ever loves you loved you. That's amazing, isn't it? That should be things that when we are holding the cup, we should take more time to consider. He gave his body for me, his blood for me. He loved me before I ever loved him. It's a blessing. The blessing of the covenant. And you are a recipient of it. 17th century English uh, Baptist Uh, Benjamin Keach said, there is a mystical conveyance or communication of all Christ's blessed merits to our souls through faith held forth hereby and in a glorious manner received in the right participation of it. Meaning this, the promise of God to save all those who come by faith in Jesus Christ is announced when we come to partake of the Lord's Supper, the covenant promise of God, uh, the God who never changes is preached to our hearts and the assembly gathers around the table. And when we come, we come in faith that God has done this for us. Talking to one of our brothers the other week about, can someone just come to the Lord's Supper and not receive the blessing that is provided there if they don't come in faith? And the answer is no. If you're just eating bread and drinking from the cup, 
but not placing your faith in and rejoicing in and, and celebrating the one who has done this for you, there's no blessing for you. If you're not coming to the table and saying, God has done this for me. God has saved me from sin. Though I am going through difficulties, though I am going through dark providences, God has saved me from my sin and God will ultimately have the victory. If you're just coming eating bread and having a drink and it's nothing more, then there is no blessing for you. We come to these elements by faith. God has blessed them. And it is a blessing to those who come by faith to them. Don't miss the Lord's Supper. Don't miss the Lord's Supper. Our sister Doreen, her son invited her to have papas and eggs. She loves her son. And who doesn't love papas and eggs? <laughs> There's a love that she has with her son. And yes, the meal was wonderful. But the meal means more to her because of the one who invited her to the meal. And who said, I've made this for you. Come and fellowship with me. Christ has made this meal for us. And though it may be just bread and drink, though we would wish that, that why couldn't it have been filet mignon and a Sprite? And Arnold Palmer, Shirley Temple, he's determined that it is bread and drink. He's made the meal. And we love him. And he's invited us to come and dine with him. And when we do, there is a great proclamation that happens, isn't there? The one who has made this meal has died so that I could have it. There's a blessing proclaimed here in this meal. God's working on us through this meal. Oh, we are bringing sin to the cross. And it's destroyed there. We're, we're seeing our Savior who has bore the penalty. We're seeing that He has died and so have we. We're seeing that He has risen and so will we. God is showering us with gifts as we come to His table. Let's go to our second point. The presence of Christ at the table. As a bait, there's a debate throughout the centuries as to the nature of the Lord's Supper. Some have said God grants salvific, saving, justifying grace through the operation of the meal. Rome believes that the bread and wine actually change into the literal body of Jesus Christ. Others have denied these things and have said there's nothing supernatural that comes to, that comes from the Lord's Supper. It's simply just a memorial. And then there are others, and we would fall into this category, who do not believe that the bread and cup change in any way, but who confess that, however, Christ is spiritually present with his people in a special way at this table. I will read from the confession this time. I know I said turn to chapter seven, uh, chapter 30, verse 7, or paragraph 7. It says this, Worthy receivers, outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this sacrament, do then also, inwardly by faith, really and indeed, yet not carnally or incorporally, but spiritually, receive and feed upon 
Christ crucified and all benefits of his death, the body and blood of Christ being then not corporally or carnally, but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance as the elements themselves are to their outer senses. In Mark chapter 14, the Lord Jesus refers to the connection between the bread and his body, the cup and his blood. It's not an argument for a literal relationship, but it's also not so much symbolic that there is not a connection between the two. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 16 declares, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we have communion or fellowship with the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Well, the, the bread that we, the bread which we bless, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And there's a contrast that's happening here. The contrast is pagan sacrifices, which is a participation with demons, fellowshipping with demons, and the Lord's Supper which is a fellowship with Christ, participation and fellowship with Christ. And what's the point of the contrast? It is that participating in the Lord's Supper is an eating of literal bread, a drinking of literal drink. And it is at the same time a literal fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ in his body and blood. So while the elements don't change, the bread's not going to all of a sudden become the body of Jesus. Uh, The cup is not all of a sudden going to become thickened like blood. There is a real promise of fellowship that we have with Christ here at his table. He is literally present with us in a spiritual way as we fellowship with him at his table. Listen to our brother Sinclair Ferguson on this. It is not by the church's administration or merely by the activity of memories, but through the spirit that we enjoy communion with Christ, crucified, risen, and now exalted. I wish I had his accent while I'm reading this. For Christ is not localized in the bread and wine, which is the Roman Catholic view, meaning he's not in them, nor is he absent from the supper, as though our highest activity were simply remembering him, which is the memorialist view. Rather, he is known through the elements by the Spirit. There is a genuine communion with Christ in the supper, just as the preaching of the word when he is present as it is preached accurately. Or by believing. So he is also present in the supper, not in the bread and wine, but by the power of the Spirit, the body and blood of the right hand of the Father, But by the power of the Spirit, we are brought into his presence, and he stands among us. Do you know what the word communion means? It means fellowship. Koinonia. And it's not necessarily fellowship with one another, per se, although we are all fellowshipping together as we eat. The fellowship that is the primary focus at the Lord's Supper is not fellowship that we have with one another. It's fellowship that we have with Christ. So when we come to the Lord's Supper, or when we come to fellowship, 
We're fellowshipping with Christ. And literally no one else. It's a fellowship with Christ and we do this together. Each time we come in faith to the Lord's Supper, Christ is with us in a unique way. Now, just as we have said concerning the preaching of the word, when we preach the word accurately, Christ is with us. And yet, when we gather in his name, and when his word is taught and preached accurately, we don't see him, do we? But he is here. He is speaking to you. And he is present with you. So too, Christ is with us when we come to the Lord's table. The message of the covenant of God is fulfilled. Christ communes with us at his table. And this is the hard part. Because if many of us were to see Jesus, and if he was the one saying, here's some bread, here's a cup. We would be in awe, wouldn't we? We would be amazed, running back to our chairs. Jesus just gave me bread. Jesus just gave me a cup. How much did you get? We would all be amazed. The trouble that we have is that we are uh, people who live by our senses, don't we? What would you rather do? Uh, Read the book or go watch the movie? I think most of us would say, I'll wait till the movie comes out. I know so many people who have read The Lord of the Rings. And I say, I love that movie. They say, I hate it. The book is so much better. I'm still, my senses are still being appealed to. But we live in a culture, in a generation that is so quick. We don't want to read anything. We want to see everything. Why do you think YouTube has exploded over the past 10 years? Because everything that we normally would get through the newspaper is now being fed to us via video. And how long are the videos that you usually see? Five to 10 minutes, if that. Whereas a newspaper, you remember the newspaper, the 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 ink that would be on your thumbs back when the Bakersfield Californian was something that was thrown at your front door. It's a thing of the past nowadays. Everything is, is news alert. Quick buzz. Everything is quick. We don't have time to actually sit, to contemplate, to think. And Christ has given to us his presence here at the table. And our, our question is, well, where is he? And can we get to it as quickly as possible? It's already 6.05. A dear member asked me a while ago, uh, I have a, a loved one who I think is wrestling with their faith. Would you suggest that I have them watch the Passion of the Christ? And all, all of us, I think, have at one point or another seen the Passion of the Christ. I saw it twice. I don't know why I went to go see it again, but I saw it twice. And the second time I saw it, I was just as uh, a blubbering as I was the first time that I saw it. It was the first time that I was ever in a movie theater with my father and, and seen him cry. And my father was a strong, he didn't cry for anything, but I saw him do that at least once. 
And me, I was hovered over in a chair, smacking the chair. Stop it! <laughs> Stop it! My answer to that dear uh, member and believer was that God has given us something to stir our emotions. And it's not a film. He's given to us his supper to stir our emotions, to remind us of what he's done for us. Jim Caviezel could not hold a candle to what Christ endured. Do you want something that you can see? Come to the table. You want something that you can touch? Come to the table. Do you want something that you can taste? Come to the table. God has met his people at the point of all of our needs. I need to see it. I need to to touch it, to taste it. We'll look no further. God has met you at the point of your need and mine. He's given us the word of God for our hearing and understanding. He's given us prayer for our petitions. He's given us his supper for our taste and our senses and our sights. We come not pretending that he's here. But believing that he's here. By faith. We should never miss the Lord's Supper. You know a loved one that if they invite you over, you're coming. Because you love them. And you might even love the way they cook. But more often than not, it's the person who's inviting you. That's why you're going. This meal is uniquely Christ. It's the Lord's Supper. He's prepared it, and he's inviting you to it. Let's finish with our last and final point. Spiritual nourishment is made available here. When you come to the table, you're proclaiming the covenant of God fulfilled in Christ. You are fellowshipping with him. And your body and soul is being nourished by him. You're being nourished physically. Our hunger is somewhat satisfied by the bread and the cup. But we are partaking in the body and blood of Christ. And we're doing this together. It would be nice if we all had our own loaf, wouldn't it? Here's your bread. Here's your bread. Here's your cup. But Christ has not called us to be individuals in his body. We are parts of his body. We come and take pieces that were broken for us. Because the the body of Christ was broken for us. We come and we have, if you will, drops that are contained in cups. Because Christ's blood fell. In these drops for us. We're not drinking of the same cup. Especially not now during the Coronies. But he is no less representative. In those representative. Represent here with us. In those smaller cups. 
We taste and see that God is good and we long for more, don't we? We are not physically satisfied, but we are spiritually satisfied. We're refreshed. We celebrate. We rejoice in what Christ has done, what Christ is doing, and what Christ will do. Brothers and sisters, when we come to the Lord's table, our faith is being strengthened by Christ. I pray that this evening... You have heard some things that will strengthen your faith as you prepare to come to the table. I pray that the coming to the table would not be monotonous for you. That it would not be dull for you or even draining. Imagine saying, I'm not going to evening service. But they're taking the Lord's Supper. I'm tired of taking the Lord's Supper. I pray that that is never our response or that we say, ah, big deal. I pray that your confidence in Christ grows each time you come to the table. It's meant to be a means by where you grow and where you fellowship with Christ. It's meant to be a means that draws you closer in your faith to him. It's meant to build you up, to sustain you as you travel and sojourn throughout this world. It's a means of grace. So let's ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to come and receive this means of grace. When you come this evening, hold that cup a little bit longer before you take it. Hold that bread just a little bit longer. Think a little bit deeper before you partake of it. Remind yourself when you're holding the bread, it was because of the broken body that I am no longer in my sin. It's because of the cup, the blood of the covenant, That judgment has passed over me. Let's pray.